The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right, it's that time. We're back. Part two of our show with the Commons Brewery. Join in with us. Call in 888-401-BEER if you're listening live on the BN mobile app. That's where you would listen live unless you're watching us on thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. There is an option to listen live via the website. We, oh, stream oh, yeah. from mm-hmm. thebrewingnetwork.com? Yeah, without video. Www. Yeah, that's right. HTTP colon, colon forward slash or backslash. <laughs> pretty sure they're forward, but I'm pretty sure... I, as I keep yelling at everybody, www is no longer necessary. I still hear people doing that all the time. www. It's like, yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah. We know. I think it's, it's funny. I think. Say the rarebarrel.com. On the do inter- you say, interwebs. Do you, say, you don't say www when you tell people how to find your, your beer, do you? No, but you guys probably have a similar problem now twice over that, that we do, which is the the. And actually, our, uh, guest, yes. the, our guest tonight, the Commons Brewery. Mm-hmm. Sean, do you guys have... Is Sean on with us yes, already? Sir. Yep. Uh, Sean, yes, do you guys have some uh, confusion with Commons Brewery and the Commons Brewery ever? Every time we do a festival, we're under tea. Interesting. Yeah. And I have uh, that on my email address. is scott at thebrewingnetwork.com or mm-hmm. thehopgrenade.com. And I can't tell you how many times I tell people, you know, some customer service rep, what's your email? Uh, scott at... The hop grenade, uh, that's hop like hopscotch and a grenade like a hand grenade. Okay, Scott at hopgrenade.com. No, no, no. Scott at the hopgrenade.com. <laughs> Scott at the, what is it now? It's like I got to do six laps with everybody I talk to. And yeah, the the, they, they get hung up on the the. Hashtag what is that? First world problems. <laughs> 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 well, uh, just before I forget at the top, you guys should be listening to the other BN shows like the session. <laughs> The Doctor Homebrew and the Brewing with Style and the Brew Strong. I think the 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 <laughs> the, the, the latter two there are there no the pro, but again you got but the, you got only hung the up latter on the two. The. So you're saying the Doctor Homebrew is okay? I, know, that, I think that might be wrong too. <laughs> and right. I'm not even. I think he's a PhD in homebrewing. He's not even a real doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Well, check those shows out. Um, but you know what? You're listening to the right show right now because we've got great brewers uh, joining us, uh, Sean on and Sam, on the, the Sour, Sour Hour, Hour. on the, the Brewing Network. Mm-hmm. We've got the guys from The Commons Brewery on with us. So uh, the next question I'd like to ask is about uh, bottle conditioning. How do you guys, you know, I've, I've seen your bottles. They're, they're beautiful. They're coming big 750s, and the quality that I've seen is, is really great. Do you, how do you guys bottle condition? Are you using that? That house strain we referenced in the last part, which is kind of a farmhouse ale, do you guys use Brett bottle conditioning, and, and how does that work for you? We're actually doing both. Uh, we're, for the vast majority of our clean beers, we're, we're using our house strain. Um, it's, uh, it does well under pressure, which is really good. Um, a lot of times for anything that has lower acidity or even funk, 
Uh, we're actually adding a red wine yeast strain back. Um, that being said, bottle conditioning is one of those things that I was just having this day. Uh, is a very difficult thing. Um, there's not a lot of uh, information out there about it, and there's a lot of uh, trial and error about how to do it on a, I should say, it's a difficult thing on a large scale. Um, and to, just to get the consistency to get the right thing has been a bit of a challenge for us. Um, so much so that one of the reasons why I hired Sam was that, or when I hired Sam was to put him in charge of that because uh, I needed someone who really would take the bull by the horns. And so I don't know, I'm gonna let Sam actually answer some of that question because he's been doing a really good job of, of uh, really dialing in the process. Yeah, so um, I think the, like Sean said, the, the big thing is it's all beer dependent. Um, depends on, you know, if we have uh, Brett going into the bottle, uh, if the beer has been aged in a barrel for a long time, um, or if maybe it's just a, a clean beer that's been all in stainless and ha already has our farmhouse ale strain in it. Um, you know, that, that'll all um, factor into whether we're, we're re-pitching um, to what volumes we're going to. Um, for, for instance, Urban Farmhouse, um, you know, we don't re-pitch anything into that. We, um, we carve up to about 3.5 volumes there. Um, it took us a while to figure out what the residual CO2 was going to be on that. Uh, we don't have the capability to uh, do anything more than just uh, sort of guess what that's going to be at the moment. And we kind of landed on 1.1 volumes. Um, so we'll sugar up to about 3.5. Um, you know, as far as Brett beers, we'll repitch a, uh, like Sean said, a, a red wine yeast. Um, you know, maybe target somewhere between three and 3.5. Um, you know, after bottling, we'll head into our warm room, uh, still gathering data on, on time frames for those, but, um, you know, we'll spend anywhere from three weeks to maybe a couple months or so. And then uh, we'll start tasting them and see if they're ready to go out. So, uh, Sam, when it comes to, you know, you mentioned Brett beers and a, and a beer may be like uh, Flemish Kiss, which, you know, you said is a little bit modeled after Orval. But I guess in this case uh, gets the Brett Brooks in the wine barrel and then ages in the wine barrel with that for a while. And then maybe comes back with uh, for bottling with uh, your your red wine yeast is how how much did you look into or how much of, of a concern is there about there being brett in there when it comes to what the final gravities of those beers are so you know you mentioned before maybe the uh the farmhouse hill you know you'll carve up to a certain level then you're gonna maybe see it uh continue i think if, if i heard you right it's going to continue to carve a little bit past that uh what what were the concerns when it came to a beer like flemish kiss uh so when we bottle flemish kiss it's actually been in a, a pretty stable gravity for um for quite a while, at least a couple months. Um, it's also quite low, but we'll also shoot on the lower side of carbonation, maybe about three, knowing that, you know, if the Brett does uh, ferment a little bit lower, you know, we can account for that. And our, our bottles are designed to take quite a bit of carbonation. I should say also, you know, to, to, to sort of be, before Sam's time, uh, one of the big goals with that beer was always to have this young Brett profile. And, uh, so, you know, we, it's definitely gone through a few incarnations over the years of 
we we've seen it to where it has that that orval rocky head you know that climbs out of your glass which is like crazy and that's that's fantastic to where you know maybe maybe the residual sugar was so low that we you know maybe didn't sugar up as much um so we've really seen kind of variations of it until we're really kind of fine-tuning the process but um we've also found with the brett rocks that it 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 leads to it doesn't con the strain that we're using doesn't continue to go too much further uh based on because we've we've fermented it out at this point uh so we, we've we're you know i guess the, the round of that is that we're letting it sit in the barrel a little bit longer uh and maybe it's getting a little bit more brett character than was originally intended but uh just from a stability point of view you know it's it's a difficult thing to put out year round and, and consistently as far as the bottle condition. Absolutely. And when you're looking for that stability, uh, forgive me if you mentioned this, I know you said, you know, you're waiting for two months of consistency. Do you have a, a final gravity where you do see the Flemish kiss kind of tail off? Uh, right around two, two Play-Doh. Gotcha. And that, and that may continue to go down from there, but, but what it will continue to add to it is, is, you know, what exactly what Sam was saying of, of, it, it won't be so much so that it's, you know, a bottle bomb or it's exploding out of the bottle. Gotcha. So you guys, uh, you kind of started this, uh, I, I know there was a little bit of a, a pre-brewery before the, the comments actually started as your guys, uh, kind of new incarnation of that in, uh, 2011, I was looking it up and it seems like, so, okay, you guys have been open for about four years. I think your anniversary is right around now, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, December third. Great, and uh, you've made I don't know maybe what like over a hundred beers so far in oh. those four years. Man, I I actually just the other day was thinking I should probably have tracked that, but uh, uh, it's got to be close to that, if not more. Yeah. Beer Advocate says it's uh, it's about it's about at a hundred right now. Wow. So that's that's kudos I'll, to you for that. I'll, I'll trust that. That sounds good. <laughs> But I'm just wondering, you know, after all those different beers and kind of your changes and, you know, I know you went from, from one brewery to kind of building out this new beautiful space that you guys have in Portland, what what have been the main changes that you guys have really seen? Oh, you know, we changed this process or this ingredient, and this has made an extreme positive impact on on our beer. Where Where have you made your greatest gains over the years? I think that's actually a great question. Uh, what do you mean, actually? Yeah, he's surprised. Yeah. <laughs> actually, that's a good question. The last 15 questions were pretty bad, so I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, no, no, I mean, I, I say that in, in the fact that like we've actually been thinking about that quite a bit lately because, you know, this. I feel like we've been a part of something that's, you know, I, I suppose a lot of breweries are these days, but it's, it's a brewery that's constantly in change and uh, – I'm someone that actually loves repeatability. Uh, that's, that's something I strive for desperately. So, uh, and then just constantly trying to improve quality. But um, one of the biggest changes we made very, very recently was we changed our base malt, and it has made such a huge difference. So we were using a Gambrinus Pilsner for a really long time, actually pretty much since the beginning of the brewery, and it's it's been a great base malt, but. Uh, you know, we're not on a silo, so we're on bag malt, and it's been pretty inconsistent. And now uh, we've changed it all over to Wireman recently, and it's been nine-day difference, and it, flavor profile's better, fermentability's better, uh, consistency is all there, uh, efficiency is better. You know, 
all things that are great for me to tell my boss when, when it all goes into saving money. Um, that has been a big thing. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of hitting on the amount of beers that we're making. We're, we're getting to that point where we've, we really have dialed in our new system and moving into this facility. We, we really put in a system that uh, allowed us to do pretty much anything that we wanted to do. Um, it's, it's, it's actually a very, very neat uh, brew house. Uh, and the fact that we can do anywhere from, you know, a single infusion mash up until just the other day, we actually just did a really fun turbine mash uh, for a barrel ferment sour that we're working on. Um, we can do decoction on it. We can do step mash. It's, it's, it's literally anything that we want to do on it. So we're able to now circle back and look at some of the beers that we've done over the past few years and say, how do we improve on that? You know, what do we have to add to it? I don't know. Uh, for me personally, I mean, there was a lot of time where it was just me doing it myself. So one of the best additions I did was to hire two really good brewers. Um, Sam sitting right next to me, Kyle, who couldn't, uh, make it tonight. Um, these guys are great. They, they helped me fill in the blanks and, and, and add to where, you know, the things that I can't think of myself. And, uh, it's just having the right team is, is important, you know, and just having people that are focused on the end result as much as you are, it takes a huge load off my shoulders. And, um, yeah, I think just a, a big thing for us has just been now we're sort of, we finally feel like we're, we're starting to see very, very repeatable, very uh, consistent uh, numbers coming off our brew house. And, you know, it's taken us a while to get there, but it, it's, it's allowing us to really, really kind of dive into exactly what system we have and just the depth of knowledge that we have between the brewers on staff. That's awesome. Excellent advice. And that's a very exciting time uh, for your, for your brewery right now with, with those changes getting dialed in. And uh, I side note, I'm also very excited about that uh, decoction, barrel ferment, sour beer. So I can swing by in like two or three years and get a pint of that? That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. All right, good. <laughs> it's, uh, a, uh, well, it's a tulip, you know, because we're, we're fancy like that. But, uh, yeah, it's actually uh, the, the whole goal is to, to have it. Uh, we have a very good connection with uh, one of our founders, his uh, sister-in-law uh, and brother-in-law do wine production. And we're... We're, you know, the, the brewery in general, we're very big fans of wine as well. Um, one of our big focuses in the future is really to concentrate on hybrids. And um, we're going to be adding a fair amount of Chenin Blanc grapes to it. So it's, it's you know, I'm not going to call it Lambic because we're not in the Seine Valley and we didn't produce it there. But, you know, it's produced roughly in the tradition and our, our cool ship doesn't exist either. So uh, roughly in the tradition. But uh, we'll say for all intents and purposes, a... a Lambic style beer with uh, some Chenin Blanc grapes should be nice and tasty. Yeah, it'll be definitely a few years. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'd love to steal you guys' time for just one more segment, uh, if you if that's all right with you. Absolutely. All right. I think we have a, a question for you guys that came in. Maybe we can uh, tease it and then uh, take a quick break and come back and answer it. Yeah, let's do that. This is a question from Dustin Teague, who Jay informed me during the break was is part of the Milk the Funk uh, online group. And he asks, um, when adding lactobacillus to my prickly pear saison, what is the difference in flavor profile of letting it sit on lacto for months 
uh, to get a tartness to the beer versus just going uh, the fast approach and adding the correct amount of 88% lactic acid to the keg and serving. I've tried both method, methods and can't completely tell the difference. He's looking forward to hearing Sean's answer, or both of your answers, um, to artificially adding lactic acid. So uh, sit on that answer, and we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and get your thoughts. All right. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company says making great beer is hard. Making the same great beer every day is harder. Brewers Publications announces its latest release for breweries of any type and size. Quality Management, an essential guide for brewers by Mary Pelletieri. Proper quality management for small, regional, and national breweries is critical. Whether you are an established business or brand new, learn the best ways to create and manage a quality system in your brewery. This book will guide you in developing a comprehensive program that will grow with your brewery, help ensure quality processes in the brewery, and continue providing great beer for your fans. Quality management for breweries is critical for continued success. This guidebook teaches you to integrate quality management in every level of the operation. It will guide you in developing a comprehensive program to ensure quality processes in your brewery. Quality management, an essential guide for brewers, now available from Brewers Publications. Learn more at brewerspublications.com. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craft craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide plus enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com the brewers banter blogs beer education how to host a beer tasting and the invaluable draft quality manual tons of great content that makes your beer better visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion camaraderie and creativity of the craft beer community craftbeer.com celebrating the best of american beer We're back on the Sour Hour. Some heated discussions during the break on Thanksgiving plans and basically us not having much much to do. Much of it. Yeah. And I'm sad about it and Jay's thrilled about it. Yeah, I love it. What are you guys doing uh, for Thanksgiving, Sean and Sam? Um, I'm going to be hanging out with my parents, uh, giving thanks and eating too much food and hopefully drinking some wonderful, wonderful beer. Yeah, I'm going to uh, wait for Sean's invite to come over. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, what I'm thankful for most at this time of the year, Scott, is some of our great sponsors like The Wine and Hop Shop at wineandhop.com. Boom. Mm, nailed Can it. you get your Thanksgiving turkey there? Uh, you could probably, you know, culture up something and <laughs> ferment a turkey. No, I have no idea. <laughs> Um, some of that giggy yeast. You could get some, like, you know, fermented side dishes going from 
the giga yeast and omega yeast labs uh cultures you can get at wineandhop.com there but, you go yeah try it out i mean you'll get free shipping if uh you know you have or your orders under 50 pounds or bn listeners so enter bn shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart after the checkout wineandhop.com <laughs> uh, we teased a question before we went to a break. Let's uh, let's bring that back and uh, and ask uh, Sean and Sam about their opinion on that one. Yeah, just to reiterate, this was Dustin Teague's question about uh, letting his uh, saison sit on lacto to get the tartness, or just adding eighty-eight uh, percent lactic acid to the keg and serving. He says he cannot tell the difference between the two processes. To answer that, uh, we've never done the, the the second option we've never actually added the the food grade lactic acid um that's kind of one of the coolest things about experimentation is you get to try the both the try both um you know off the top of my head i would i would say that i think i would argue that if you can't tell the difference then uh carry on my wayward son but um uh i personally you know, think lactobacillus goes through a process where there are, you know, when you're adding lactobacillus to to the uh, to to a sugar source, it's actually going to break down the sugar source and create flavors other, you know, other than just lactic acid. So uh, there's a benefit there. Um, I personally have found food grade lactic acid to take taste like a fake maple syrup, uh, which is not something that's pleasant to me, but. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to say uh, what what the best route is there because we've never actually done both. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I w- I've tasted beers that had straight food grade lactic acid personally, and uh, I can taste it. I usually say, oh, there's that maple syrup character. Um, and honestly, you know, the, it, how they get food grade lactic acid is a uh, the process is very different. So, I mean, I think the, the end result tastes different to me but if you can't tell the difference and it works in your beers then then go on but sam wants to add something too. yeah no that's just awesome that uh that justin actually tried both um i think that's great and uh you know it, it might actually be beer dependent there might be a lot of beers that you can taste the difference and there might be a lot of beers that you can't taste the difference so you know if you can't and uh it saves you the time then yeah both the Lactic acid. Just, just I'll also, also sorry. There, there's there's that pedestal that I'll kind of always stand on and, and soapbox of, of uh, you know, I get asked a fair amount about you know kettle souring and, and things like that. And and like I say, it's it's tool in the tool shed. It is not it's not the only way to produce sour beer. I mean, it, I mean, I think Jake could probably speak a lot to that about how you know. Uh, the difference in, in flavor of, you know, aging their beers out versus, you know, just if you did the exact same beer kettle soured versus the way that they did, you're going to get a different flavor profile. And there, there is an art and beauty to both. Um, nothing should ever be taken away from, you know, just because it took a long time doesn't mean it's not worth it. Uh, typically, it is worth it and it will be more complex. And, and uh, I think, you know, it's something we, we do a fair amount of that as well. It just it. We unfortunately do it on a much smaller scale, so not as many people see it. Uh, a lot of Portlanders see it, and um, th- we're trying to work on that as well. We're, we're trying to help production on a little bit more of that stuff. But I mean, it—it's something I really, really want 
people to you know know is that you know that kettle souring is is really just it's one thing you know uh heck blend it with your ipa you know i think that's something ben Enman said in his uh in the cbc talk is that it, it it's a layer that you can add to it and and uh why not try it so Sorry, I uh, will step off the soapbox now. <laughs> oh, no, please step onto another one anytime you'd like. Just to clarify, the maple you're talking about, and this might seem silly because it's acid, but are you talking about the sort of corn syrup sweetness or maple flavor? Uh, I, I tend to find it, uh, it's, it's an aromatic thing. It, it literally tastes like a, uh, a, a false maple syrup, uh, like what you would pour on pancakes, but not necessarily, you know. Like a, like a fenugreek. Yeah, like a fenugreek. Yeah, I think is a really good way of describing it. I, that's the way I find the aroma to be. I mean, we use it for, you know, mash uh, pH adjustment. We use it in kettle souring to get down to the pH that we want uh, pre-souring. Um, but, again, that's not the source. I think that should be made very clear. It's definitely not the source of acidity. It's just getting us down to a certain pH that we want pre-pitching lactobacillus. So. How much uh, lactic acid does it take in uh, in your guys' brew house to get down from? I mean, I assume you're maybe somewhere in the low fives on your runoff to get down to your your four point six, your your four point five. So, how, how much are you using, and how how big is your brew house? Uh, we we are currently on a we we call it a fifteen barrel brew house, but everything's oversized, so it's it's actually closer to about 20 18 to 20 but um you know i i that's actually a question i get a lot and the answer to me is always depends on your water and depends on your grist uh for us uh it's i think it's around 200 ml uh yeah your, your assumption is right in that we're we tend to be right around five two because we're adding acidulated malt into the mash on myrtle for example so it's actually getting into sort of the lower range of optimal pH for the mash, but that allows us to not have to add so much lactic acid in afterwards that it becomes a flavor component. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit of, you know, we've talked a lot about Myrtle, touched on Flemish Kiss. Uh, one one beer I wanted to check in with you guys about your process and maybe how it differentiates itself from Myrtle is uh, the Beer Royale. Yeah, absolutely. Um that's, that's a beer that's actually going to be changing relatively soon. Um, so that was the very first beer that we ever did, kettle sour yogurt. Um, it was kettle sour with yogurt and then added a bunch of Oregon fruit uh, black currant puree. Uh, and again, you know, black currants have such a high acidity too, so it really added, you know, it worked well with the yogurt and the fact that the yogurt didn't get it down to that super low pH, but then the black currants really kind of, helped bring it down a little bit more with some, you know, complex acids. Uh, but process-wise, very similar. Uh, we, we would do the kettle sour, add the yogurt, get down to that pH. Um, it's spelt-based, so it has a little bit more mouthfeel. Um, and, and that's something I actually recommend to anybody trying any of these, you know, heck, any, any long-term, short-term. Uh, you know, if you're going to have a beer that dries up a lot or has a low acidity, uh, you know, consider adding an adjunct that adds a little bit more mouthfeel because it, it helps to kind of balance out some of that sharp lactic acidity. Uh, but then, yeah, we we let it go through clean ferment. We actually use a Kolsch yeast with that, um, and then we would add post high we would add 
I can't remember the exact amount of currents, but a large amount of uh, black current period to it. Uh, let that uh, ferment out and then separate as best as possible. Um, we're trying to really move away from the yogurt thing. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, it, it really just has, has been this sort of one dimensional note. Uh, so I think the next batch we're gonna do, we're gonna experiment around a little bit and use our house culture and then actually ferment it out 100% bread. Uh, and I'm really excited about that one, actually. <laughs> that sounds cool. Are you going to use the, the same Brett Brooks you use for Flemish Kiss, or are you going to try something a little different? No, we, uh, we're, we're going to do something uh, kind of uh, – we did – you know, you mentioned uh, Chris Johnson of Green Bench earlier. We, we did a collaboration with him earlier for CBC, and something that uh, he and I had kind of talked in depth about of uh, a mixed culture. So we used the uh, – well, I shouldn't say 100% Brett these days because uh, – 50% wild Saccharomyces uh, <laughs> Dre and uh, uh, 50% um, Brett C, uh, 100% you know, of those two. Um, and then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we go to relatively decent pit trade. I think it's, I think we sell on one, somewhere around 1.3 to 1.5 million cells per ml per degree Play-Doh. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to take a similar approach to that. Uh, it, we did a, a beer with kumquats uh, that, that, you know, Chris being based out of Florida had really good access to kumquats. And we did a fun beer for CBC that worked out really, really well. And so I think I kind of want to play off of that a little bit and you know, just kind of get milk a little bit more out of that beer that I wasn't seeing in the past. It, 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 it felt to me too, too fruity, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. You always got to strive for balance, but then balance that balance with, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. experimentation and, and, and trying out new things. That's pretty cool stuff you guys are doing there. A couple more questions I want to get to you before I get you guys out of here. Um, this is one of my, my personal favorite questions, and uh, I'd love to get uh, both Sean and Sam's take on this, and that's what do you guys feel like is the biggest mistake in, in sour beer making? And this could be something that happened to you guys you know, as, as home brewers or your previous career or at the commons or just things you see from other breweries out there right now, what, what do you think people are doing incorrectly? And if, you know, you're, you're back up on the soapbox, you have a chance to tell them, you know, Hey, watch out for this. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take this one first. Uh, very simply, I think it's just not blending. I think maybe just sticking with, uh, sticking with what came out and not striving for something better. Um, you know, I think there's always an opportunity to, uh, you know, if you put a whole bunch of beer into a bunch of different barrels, you can, um, you can create something greater than just, uh, you know, blending them all back together. This guy, yeah, think... I, Go ahead. I, I fully agree with what Sam said. I mean, I think that's that's one to toot the rare barrels horn. Uh, uh, there's a beauty in blending there. And I think, you know, uh, we, we have certainly... In, in our process have gone for, you know, there's a simple approach to just, you know, creating a nice, tart, drinkable beer. Um, we've always been hesitant to call some of the kettle sour stuff sour, as silly as that sounds. Uh, there's a tartness to it, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's a, it's a one and done note. Um, so, you know, something, something to kind of look for is don't be afraid to give things time if they need time. Um, there's a, there's, a beauty and an art to that. That's where some of the best beers in the world 
take many, many years to produce. And as Sam mentioned, just they're blended, you know, they're, they're blended to taste a certain way. And then they get blended together. And the person that blends it knows that it's going to taste different after it's even been blended because the components are now going to be mixed together. And um, I'd also say, you know, one big thing for me is don't, don't go too sour. I mean, it, we, we tend to be a very Brett focused brewery. Uh, uh, a big chunk of a lot of the beers that we produce, you know, that, that we're really proud of tend to have a little bit less on the, you know, beyond the kettle sour stuff tend to be a little less on the acidity, a little bit more on the funk. And I mean, that's something we love, but uh, you know, that's a, that's the beauty of having so many breweries is you can go try whatever you want, but uh, really just not, you know, not having it so sour that it's it's undrinkable you know i, I mean pickle juice is sour as shit but do you want do you really want to drink that like straight it, it, i mean sometimes i do because i love the flavor but <laughs> <laughs> yeah with the whiskey yeah sure but, but i mean I, I guess i guess it's the simple way of saying it. excellent advice yeah for sure I, I i think a measured approach with such an extreme fermentation is is always appropriate i mean let's face it sour beer is it's crazy. And, you know, we're talking about making things that taste good using the things that make most most beer overall taste bad. These are, you know, they're labeled as spoilage microorganisms. And what we're talking on this show is about, you know, taking taking lemons and making lemonade, but a more, more an ex, an even more extreme example than that, you know, sure. spoilage. Take, take Good. beer making it taste like lemonade there you go or uh or pickle juice and some, some, some right, right. <laughs> um I, I think that's something that's that's definitely i mean that's something that has been hit on more a little bit recently is that you know two of the biggest trends in beer making are you know bit bitter and sour and in nature these things are you know we're supposed to think these are poison so it's there's a delicate art to uh to making you know big hoppy beers not too bitter and there's a big thing to making you know beautiful complex sour beers not too sour and and just balanced right to have all the right characteristics definitely i, I want to get you guys out on this last question um you know we've talked a lot about your beer tonight for the people listening wh- wh- what's your distribution like uh how can people get it and you know if if the answer is what i you know sort of assume it to be Maybe a little, uh, a little, a few uh, words about your your tasting room in Portland. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, the biggest share of our distribution is actually within Portland itself. Um, we are, we are still growing as a brewery, so we're we're trying to get out there more and more. Uh, that being said, um, you know, conveniently we are sending beer to California, uh, so you know, based out of where you guys are at, um, we're trying to get more and more of that down there these days uh we're finding that portland is starting to get its fill so we're looking at sending more down to california uh we're working on washington right now uh we actually send a little tiny bit out to new york city um there's a lot of people out there that love it um every once in a while we've been known to send it out to boise and the japanese uh, are, are getting a fair amount as well actually not even that they're getting a little amount it's kind of a work in progress, but uh, the best place to come drink our beer, in my opinion, is our brewery. Uh, we worked really hard to build out a really nice tasting room, so um, 
we're working actually really hard to get some some more funky sour stuff kind of year-round available that may actually only be available here at the uh, at the brewery um and you know that's that's not to to make it too exclusive it's that just you know it's it's such a small amount for us that it it's hard to send it out a little bit more so we're we're not the biggest place on earth but we're we're trying to do the best of what we do well to all those uh Japanese businessmen listening who consistently fly to Boise, Idaho and back get this beer. <laughs> You'd be amazed at how in love with Portland the Japanese are. It's uh it's pretty crazy actually. We we see pretty pretty regular uh amount of Japanese tourists that come through, so it it only makes sense for us, you know. Portland's an amazing place and uh I was happy to be there for uh that CBC last time and you know, eating all the the great food at all the awesome restaurants and going to all the the awesome breweries. It's just, it's just one of the best cities I've ever been to in the in the world, really. So uh, if you're ever in town, like uh, like Justin is right now, which is pretty funny, <laughs> yeah. That uh, he can, I'm sure he's passed out and you know <laughs> under underneath the the food or or some barrels, some and, Japanese <laughs> tourists kicking him. Yep. He's- yeah, exactly. down. yeah. Unfortunately, I've never been there. Uh, I've been through Portland, but never been to your tasting room. But I, my, I've Google imaged it. It's as close as I've gotten, and it, it's really yeah. You guys aren't kidding. You really did build a, build a beautiful space there. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you guys so much for coming on, Sean and Sam. Um, we really appreciate your time, and you know, I really think by you guys, you know, setting such a good example on a lot of these uh, these these sour beer techniques, I and and. Being willing to come on and share that with with all the people listening, I think you know that's going to help us advance the cause of of sour beer overall. So we really appreciate your time, and now uh, yeah, go have some some of your great beers and and turn the music back on. Yeah, yeah thanks, <laughs> thanks guys, thanks for having us, guys. Cheers, uh, guys. Thanks. All right, Sean and Sam from uh, the Commons Brewery on the Sour Hour on the <laughs> Brewing Network from the oh oops. Wait, so, no. so I just go to uh, Commons dot com. Yeah, common, maybe common, we'll just do it, (laughs) common.com. All right, what are we doing? We're going to... We'll take a break and then come back and do some more questions. Okay, that sounds great. Let's take a... I'm seeing what's at common.com right now. Is it the the rap artist? Is he a rapper, common? Uh, It's parked. Nothing there. GoDaddy says this is is a parked domain, common.com. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is pretty weird. Oh. Anchor should buy it. Well, I guess they won't. They wouldn't buy it because their their beer is steam, and everyone else calls it common. Right? But. Yeah, the Cal Common. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, well, I we should give their actual uh, website here. What is it? The, the Commons Brewery. Commonsbrewery dot com. Awesome. Not the. Just Commons Brewery. There you go. www.commonsbrewery.com. dot dot com. They watched uh, the Facebook movie and they saw Justin Timberlake, you know, <laughs> dramatically turn around and say. <gasps> Drop the the. <laughs> I took it to heart. When I saw that, I was like, no, don't drop the <laughs> No, the. <laughs> add it, even when it shouldn't be there. Anyway, so we've already taken our break, right? Uh, no, we need to do one more. Oh, no, we're still in the air. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right <laughs> you just we were just talking. It, this is the stuff we talk about. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's, uh, no, let's, let's, take, take let's take that break and continue this conversation off air. This is the Sour Hour on The Brewing Network. 
Have you ever dreamed of attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Danstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2016 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition to the 2016 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 11, 2015, every Danstar yeast packet you use is your ticket to enter. Visit danstaryeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter, so get brewing with Danstar and get your entries into the Danstar 2016 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at danstaryeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Lalamond and Danstar Premium Brewing Yeast and enter to win. that <laughs> so good <laughs> i love acdc so much all right let's get to a few questions yes yep we're back there are um questions tonight brought to you by sourbeerblock.com before we get to our first question i wanted to mention that uh there's a new article up and it's a follow-up to the fast souring with lactobacillus article that matt had posted previously definitely read it i read it uh today it's hot off the presses it just came out literally today, earlier today. And um, it's great because, you know, he mentions in the article, the response he got to the first article on this, and he's getting all this feedback. And what he does is he addresses some of the, the questions, concerns, some of the pitfalls that, that, you know, so people read the first article, they tried this stuff, and then some of them responded back, hey, this happened. Hmm. How do I deal with that? Matt deals with all of it. So I actually pulled one quote from it that I that I really enjoyed, which is, Matt writes, the strongest trend I've seen in all the troubleshooting emails I receive is this. Beers that don't receive at least a short boil before souring undergo far more problematic fermentations. So in his original article, and I think a lot of people also assume this, is that the mashing process, running off, and all all the temperature that that uh, has to offer, that's going to, you know, basically not pasteurized but, or sterilized, but it's going to kill a lot of the bad things that could influence your kettle souring procedure. He's saying, no, this is where, this is the main source of problems with kettle souring is that people don't boil first, then cool and inoculate, then boil a second time. So you're kind of, you, you want to be dealing with sterile wort, uh, kind of from, from beginning to end when you're putting the lactobacillus in, in that environment. So, that that's just one note. He goes over a whole bunch of other stuff. There's a big decision chart. You should definitely check it out. Sourbeerblog.com. Um, just wanted to get that in there because it really makes sense, especially in the context of this show, where we're talking to uh, kettle sour brewers who really know what they're doing. They're winning awards based off of these beers, and a lot of the information that Matt's putting out, Doctor Lambic, in the Sourbeerblog.com article, is in sync with what we we're hearing tonight. So. 
listen to both these parts of the shows, go on to Sour Beer blog, and and then you'll you'll really have a great rundown of how to do kettle souring. There you go. Sourbeerblog.com. Know the. This is from Mike Adair Jr. He said, hey, guys, I'm looking for a little guidance. I was thinking of getting a barrel for my dad for winemaking. After his wine finishes, we will use the barrel to age beer. I found a few outlets for new white oak barrels online, both 5 and 10 gallon. A couple questions on those. Some of the barrels come with an integrated spigot. Spigot or no spigot? Uh, you don't need it, and I don't know them well enough to kind of recommend it. So maybe no. It's another source for leaks, but it could be a great source for transferring out of it as well. I, I go just go with your gut, you know. Maybe no wrong answer on that one from my perspective, but I don't, I don't know. For but sure. you, personally, if you given the choice, you'd go no spigot, and I, just I, drive the nail right in there. I wouldn't. I'd put a nail in there, and then I'd probably buy some expensive. Uh, they have some stuff on like um, GW Kent, which is one of our suppliers. GW Kent uh, dot com. They have a. Something where you drill a certain size hole, it's maybe like a little less than an inch, and then you can just start uh, screwing this sample port in, and you can run like a little tube off of that. It, it's probably like a spigot, like the spigot is. I assume it's a wood spigot, but it's stainless steel, and it will really stick in there well. So that that's a little more expensive, though. So, you know, go go with your gut on the spigot, I would say. After the wine is finished, we'll fill with beer. Uh, do we just rinse and transfer? And um, with each consecutive beer that goes in, same same story. Yeah, it depends what's left over from the wine. I'm not I'm not a winemaker, but you know I know there are some titrates or lees, and I don't know those well enough to know you know how they're going to affect the beer. So, for example, we we went up to uh, Napa, and when I say we, I mean the production team and not me. They did all the hard work. Um, and we got these freshly emptied Chardonnay barrels. So like, I mean, Chardonnay out and then they did nothing with it except we loaded it up on our truck and brought it back and then we filled it with beer. So no rinse, no nothing. Um, I asked the winemaker kind of about what was left in the barrel and how that would affect things. And we kind of chatted about it and I came to the conclusion that, okay, it's, it's fine to do that. And it's going to max, maximize the amount of wine character that we get in our beer. So now I would say probably go for it, but I don't know, you know, this guy's making wine, so he probably knows more about the wine aspect than I do. But if you did want to rinse it, I'd go a really light rinse because you want to keep all that wine character in the barrel um, to carry over to your beer. Would you have had the same reaction if it were red wine that were in those barrels you just picked up for, for color purposes? Or I, any other purposes. I wouldn't really see a difference. I, I don't see the distinction there. Unless there's something about the process of making red wine that would leave something else in the oak barrel. Um, Color wouldn't worry you? Well, it depends what you're going for. So, um, you know, if you want a golden sour beer with a hint of, you know, red wine character and you get that tint, that could be a really cool aspect of a beer, you know. And you, you serve it and you say, hey, this is a golden sour beer and this whole color is from... The wine barrel. We do that a lot with our beers. We have a lot of fruited golden sours, and the colors that come out of these beers are just beautiful. Colors you can't get in beer otherwise unless it's from the fruit. And so, you know, we say, okay, this is our golden sour, but then we pour it and serve it, and it's pink, purple, blue, you know, ruby red. It's all these different cool colors. So, um, 
I wouldn't really worry too much about color pickup. It's kind of a cool part of the story. Okay, and the last part of Mike's question is, uh, should we go with a stout first, like with whiskey barrels, or do you think any style will work initially? Well, there you go. That's, that's kind of your question there, is, you know, what do you want to start with? Um, and I was just thinking from a color standpoint, but I guess, you, like, what would what would red wine complement stylistically? I would just try and get as much of that initial character as possible. I, I would do, I, I mean, it depends on the... Um, the type of wine, I guess, but I would just do a, a golden sour, and then if it's too intense, blend it with your next one that you put in there, or blend it with another beer. But I would try and let you know I don't want to lose that red wine character from the first fill by making it a really malty beer. Um, that's, so that's what I would recommend. But then you have other people who you know you should listen to, like Vinny from Russian River, who has perfectly matched you know a base beer with a wine barrel or a base beer with a wine barrel and a type of fruit. Um, and that's that's their flagship line of sour beers at Russian River. So if you feel like the wine you're making reminds you of, you know, a certain style, ooh, this reminds me of Flemish Red or it reminds me of Oud Bruin or it reminds me of this fruit, build off of the character of the wine. That's sort of what we do at the Rare Barrel with beer is, you know, we let the fermentation take shape and, and we learn from what it's tasting like before we decide what beer it's actually going to become. So I, I would just do the same thing with the wine character. This is from uh, Evan, who says, uh, last time my wife were out in the area, uh, he went to Rare Oh, Rare Barrel was not open yet. He had read a little about it. He wants to come out someday soon. He's writing in from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where I just was doing the bourbon trail well, last great, month. Great pronunciation of Louisville. 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 It's funny. You know, there's no right way to pronounce it. Everywhere you go in the town, it, everyone's telling you something different. There's Louisville. There's Louisville. Oh, wow. Louis Valle. No. Not that one. But <laughs> there, there's no, no right or wrong way to pronounce it, apparently. Uh, he says, a few shows ago, there was talk of adding Brett to bottles. Maybe someone uh, wrote into the show asking. It spiked my interest. I have all my clean beer kegs and equipment, and I also have a few sour kegs and equipment used only for sour, uh, but I really don't have anything just for Brett. I love the idea of using my clean bottle filler carboys kegs and just adding Brett after it's in the bottle. What's the best way to go about this, though? Uh, I'd use Belgian bottles, uh, but would you add priming sugar, boiled water like normal, and then add a small amount of Brett, or would you just bottle still beer and then add a a bit of Brett? Okay, so I I think... I remember the original question, which was someone wrote in and said they were going to pipette Brett into each bottle. Right. Um, and I sort of compared that to putting those little sugar little sugar drops into each bottle that they make, um, the priming sugar. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good idea, a good way to go about it, especially if you're not trying to cross-contaminate your other equipment, like a bottling bucket or any equipment like that. So you can get like an eyedropper you know, pretty cheap. It doesn't have to be a fancy, sterile micro-pipette. Good that you have, uh, you know, stronger bottles for sure because, you know, if you're not experienced with bread fermentations, then, you know, you may not know how low the bread is going to take the beer. He doesn't mention any gravities in his email, does he? No, no numbers. Um, he's actually wondering, like, what's even a good amount to start with? I think he has more questions than answers. I th- And then I think the other thing he was asking about was, you know, do I go in with, from a keg like a carbonated keg. So force carving into a bottle and then adding Brett versus still beer and adding sugar and Brett. You know, we heard from the commons earlier in the show. Uh, I think this was in part one, but how they're, you know, counting on an additional fermentation uh, in the bottle. So, you know, depending on your gravities, what you could do is just force carve in the keg, add a little bit of Brett and then see where that takes it. 
hard to give, you know, a specific recommendation without seeing all the gravities in front of me. But, uh, you know, I would just say be cautious. Don't give the Brett too much sugar and don't put Brett in a beer with too high of a finishing gravity. All right, here's a little uh, follow-up. Do you remember the question? I can't remember. I don't think we did this follow-up. The um, The question was originally about hot beer. Uh, he was served, the, the guy that wrote him was served a hot sour beer, Yes, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or I actually don't even remember if it was sour. I think it was. Uh, but a, uh, another listener named Brian wrote in. Uh, he apparently knows all about hot beer. He said, uh, warm hot beers were served in many inns in the winter in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries in England and Scotland. Usually these were malty beers with English uh, and like somewhat estery yeasts. Often rum and sugar were added. The drinks were warmed by pokers heated in the fire. Uh, lots of local names for uh, heated but flip. I guess that means with rum. And uh, rum bustion, uh, rum and raw egg were widespread. He said he tried it in the U.K. Um, with a uh, barley wine uh, one winter about 10 years ago. He said it was good but not so good that he tried it again. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that this, is, this has become a topic on, on this show. I think what we need to do is draw a line here and start recruiting someone to host the hot beer hour. <laughs> and, you know, I think we maybe just, that is a once a year show or something. And, except we should just call it hot beer hour. <laughs> Drop the the. Yeah, the <laughs> the the hot beer hour. But it, it, it actually kind of, kind of reminds me of our show a while ago with uh, Jester King. And we had Garrett on, and he was talking about uh, how they like to lightly skunk uh, some of their bottles by putting them putting their beer in green bottles mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I joke with him is like, "Oh yeah, you're you're heading towards your own show, you know, the Skunky Hour on the <laughs> Brewing Network." So I think you, you guys should just get more and more niche. You know, right. have like twenty shows, and you know, you got the Hop Show, you got the Grain Show, the Water Show. I think would. Would not do well. But, you don't think so? Uh, it, it would have that NPR feel where, <laughs> you know, you're kind of putting people to sleep. But so what some, would it sound some, like? Some it people would... have told me that I put people to sleep, too. But so. did they, who said that? <laughs> no one said I, that. I think it's great, you know, if especially if you don't know, you know, what's going on with sour beer fermentation. Yeah, I think I'm just droning on and then you're... If you're getting... not a very technical person, perhaps this sounds... Boring. And Something we can like just that. start fading away from the mic right. a little bit over time. And then yeah. Yeah. You're, and then you're happen. asleep. And then you're asleep. Well, NPR has millions and millions of listeners, so clearly they're monotonous droning. Not so do we. We're, we're a million, right? <laughs> I think so. Something <laughs> like that. All right. Here is, um, I, I want to get start getting to some of these questions about the professional side of, of brewing, because... I think I mentioned on the last show that people are starting to write in with questions about how you did it, how you started an all-sour brewery. Or, mm-hmm. uh, so here is one from Chad, uh, who said, um, Morning, Jay. I'm reaching out to humbly request any information you can give on how buying wort from another brewery works as far as taxes and legal stuff, reporting, and so forth. Oh, okay. Good question. Yeah, it, that's that's hard. It's It's a very hard thing to do. And one that I honestly wouldn't wouldn't recommend. More more and more breweries are are starting this way. It, it's really very individualized with different brewers. But I guess the simple answer is that in the eyes of tax, it's not very complicated. You're buying sugar water. You're you know imagine it's like malt extract from a company that's making that for you, um, and it doesn't become beer until you add yeast to it. So. 
uh, we're, we're a fully licensed regular brewery. Um, it just so happens that that first process is a little bit different, but the second we add yeast to our beer, that's, that's why we're a brewery. So it, without going into all, I mean, ta- oh boy, taxes as a brewery, it's just out of control. As and anything. I, 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 you know, I can't go into that, but. That'll be one of the things I, I talk Jay Zier off about off the air about California. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the same in, in that way, if that, if that helps at all. All right. Well, uh, you know, there's more questions, but there's always more questions. So what do you say we get the hell out of Dodge? Yeah, we'll, we'll have more shows. Yeah. Right? And well, hopefully. We'll, yeah, we'll answer the question. Yeah, unless we're, uh, you know, taxed out of existence between now and the next broadcast. Our, mil- is- our millions of listeners will cry. <laughs> but no, looking forward to uh, some of the next shows. We're working hard on getting those uh, cast of characters lined up for our next ones. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to announce confirmation soon about who we're getting and uh i'm pretty excited about the upcoming guests um but yeah definitely uh, go back and listen to our our more recent shows you know they're definitely varied sour beer techniques so uh you know go back listen to the guard which is the last couple of episodes a lot of well, very different approach today with the commons and their uh, kettle souring techniques um both world-class brewers both from oregon so i don't know We'll have to continue our Pacific Northwest tour sometime. Um, but yeah, I think thank you guys so much for listening, and hopefully you got a lot out of this uh, talk about kettle souring on this episode of the Sour Hour. We'll see you uh, next time for the December show, right? The December show. The December show. This has been the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. The goodbye. Goodbye.